It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. A selection of ethically sourced flavors combined with a rich cocoa intensity. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle and it's my first day back at work today. And it's also my first day running this um, very bad remote learning facility in my house. I am not good at it and I'm not going to try too hard because if I learned anything from the last time, uh, yeah, there's no point getting stressed about it. So I'm trying to take it easy. So back to the homeschooling and back to work, neither of them going particularly well. So I'm really glad I'm starting back with a chat with Caroline Foran, who some of you might remember we had on the podcast before. She's a young woman full of wisdom and practical advice about living and about vulnerability, which we could all do with uh, at this particular time. We're deep in lockdown three now. I think it's the monotony, isn't it? The cold, the rain, the greyness of all the days bleeding into each other, where the only sort of uh, vague thing to do is go out and have a bit of exercise, a bit of a walk. Um, I think we're all trying to distract each other. You've probably all watched Bridgerton. Um, I'm also binging my head off on The American Office, which is also on Netflix and has a gazillion episodes, which I like. I think I might even like it better than The English Office, which is surprising me. So however you are distracting yourselves, I hope you're going easy and being gentle with yourselves. I can't believe sometimes that we're still here, still locked down, still dealing with this lockdown surge, lockdown surge cycle. And yet when you hear things like the entire National Maternity Hospital staff were vaccinated last week, you can't help but be hopeful. So we do have to keep that silver lining and that light at the end of the tunnel lit. I want to mention today that we'll be bringing you a very special episode on Thursday about the mother and baby home report. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. We're so glad Micheál Martin is going to be making a formal apology on behalf of the state. I think that's on Wednesday. So we'll be bringing you reaction to that and also to all the issues that continue for the women trying to access their information. Their struggle sadly won't end with the publication of the report and there's still a lot for campaigners to do. So we're going to do a deep dive into that on Thursday. And I also want to remind you about our Irish Times Winter Nights Festival, which is coming up on the 25th of January. Something to put in your diary, a week of events featuring brilliant women such as Edith Eager, Mairead McGuinness, Nicola Sturgeon, Emma Dabry and more. And also some brilliant men like Gabriel Byrne, Dara O'Brien and Dara McAnulty. And all of those great guests will be in conversation with Irish Times journalists such as Circa Pollock, Hugh Linehan. Um, I'll be doing one of the interviews, Cathy Sheridan and of course Fintan O'Toole. Uh, tickets for that are available from irishtimes.com forward slash winter nights that's irishtimes.com forward slash winter nights we hope to see lots of you there 
And we are also planning our next season of The Big Night In. And if you have any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on that, email us on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com or get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're really looking forward to season three of The Big Night In. But in the meantime, we really hope you enjoy this conversation with Caroline Foran, where she talks to us about some of the 10 truths she says might just change your life. Caroline, thank you very much for coming back on the Women's Podcast. The last time we spoke, it was about anxiety and your first book. And now you have book number three, which is a really lovely read called Naked, 10 Truths to Change Your Life. And hanging off the word naked is a bra. So it's a, it's a lovely uh, cover, bright yellow, very cheering for this time of year. How have you been since we last spoke? Oh, I've been good. Thank you so much, Roisin, for having me. Um, I suppose a lot has changed. I yeah, I wrote two more books and I recently had a baby. Um, and that's probably the biggest change. And obviously we've been trying to survive a, a global pandemic, but otherwise just just ticking over. Great. Um, and this book is one of those listy things, which is people love. It's got 10 truths to change your life. Um, there's a lot of it about at the moment because it's January and it's January in the middle of a pandemic that we thought might be over when we were in our naivety back in March and we thought it might be all over by August kind of thing, which was just crazy. So tell us about the concept Um why these truths? Because obviously with your other books, uh, you've learned a lot about yourself and about human nature and you've done a lot of reading and thinking. Is it kind of like you wanted to put it all in an easy sort of to digest uh, format for people? Pretty much. Um, so the book was originally meant to come out last May uh, when we thought the pandemic, like you say, would only last you know a couple of weeks. And then they pushed it till January because we definitely thought we'd be out of it by now. Um, but since the pandemic um, and since everything we've all been going through, it's actually become probably more relevant now, even though I wasn't writing it with that in mind. Um, and even my own experience now as a new mother is even it's even more relevant to me than it was when I first wrote it. But I suppose what I wanted to do was, um, I guess, to mirror where I'm at in my life. So the first book, Owning It, was really me trying to get from a point of surviving to just feeling kind of stable in terms of like being back out in society and managing my anxiety the second book was the confidence kit and that was saying okay I'm I'm doing okay now but now I need to work on my confidence you know I'm I'm out in the world again and I'm, I'm a little bit unsure of myself and then this book I suppose is kind of like when you're I describe it as sort of when you're clearing through your house and you've done all the really big tasks but then there's a couple of drawers that you're like oh I just I'm gonna pretend that they don't exist and but actually the stuff in there that's really niggling at you and you know you'll feel better when you get them sorted so that's kind of where this book is and it's probably a lot more commonly experienced anxieties and commonly experienced issues or problems that we might have when it comes to our thoughts feelings and behaviors definitely things that were affecting me such as people pleasing such as um being very kind of stressed about this obsession we have in our society with goals and achieving this like um end goal and these long-term goals and for example another one which i'm sure we'll talk about them in more depth would be you know when someone else has a really amazing achievement or success and you feel a little bit crap inside and that's horrible to admit but i think we've all been there at some point so I kind of wanted to, there was so much I wanted to explore. And then I thought, okay, well, that sounds like 10 books. So rather than, you know, be here for 10 years, why don't you just really look at 10 common, I guess, problems that you're facing in when it comes to your, your thoughts or feelings or behaviours that are maybe holding you back in some way. I always write very much for myself. So I'm trying to figure it out for myself as I go along. I'm, I'm not writing this from the perspective of having it all figured out. And then look at maybe some real uncomfortable truths around around those thoughts and feelings that we might be able to 
embrace and then work around so that those things no, no longer cause us the issues that they maybe once did. That's a very long-winded answer for you. I really need to work on my elevator pitch. <laughs> no, it's a great elevator pitch. I mean, you say it's 10 truths to change your life. Do you feel comfortable making such a bold statement? Do you think that, that that's okay to say that? Because I suppose there is a sort of cynicism around self-help where people feel like uh, writers are, you know, putting stuff out there, making out that what they say is going to actually have a massive practical effect on people's lives when often people read things, put them down and they don't actually have any practical effect. Well, that was the problem I was having with a lot of those kind of books. And I can't, like I've lost count of the amount of journals that I've bought, you know, with the aim of changing my life. And now on this first week in January, I'm going to be a new person. And they've all just ended up gathering dust on my on my um, my table. So I was very aware of those kind of claims that are out there. So really what I start with, it's, it is a bit of a cheeky title, I suppose. And there's probably an air of trying to um, attract attention on, on the cover in a bookstore. Not that you can even go into one at the moment. But what I really wanted to do, and I'm all about just, you know, bulldozing through any bullshit really if I can say that and um, so you can the say first anything on this at, podcast amazing fuck <laughs> balls <laughs> so what I wanted to do was say well okay we all have these great intentions of of trying to make a change here or there also there's plenty of people who maybe are perfectly well adjusted and don't want to make a change and that's fine too I mean if you're one of those people I'd love to go for a drink with you um but before you even try and embark on a change, it's not just going to happen with one profound tweet or just deciding you want to have a change in your life. Because I think, and I'm guilty of this, we all want to make a change without having to do very much at all. And I only just said to my husband the other day, and I was deadly serious, I said, like, I'd really like to get back fitting into my clothes that I fit into before I had the baby, but I don't want to exercise and I don't want to stop eating all the comfort food. And he's like, well, then nothing's going to change. I was like, yeah, I know. But in my head, I want to change. And sometimes we think that's enough. And it's not. So I tease apart the reality of change and how hard change is and how we always stumble and fall when we think we're just being lazy or it's just us. But actually the psychology of change and how hard that is and the psychology of, of willpower and how even if you're good at willpower, your willpower needs more willpower and kind of how long it takes and what to expect. And I suppose just to approach it from, let's be really realistic about how to make a change in our life. And before we go looking at those changes, let's understand what we're getting into. Let's approach it in a very compassionate way and not be so hard on ourselves and then when you kind of understand and accept the nature of change and how really fucking hard it is to change or to make even a tiny significant change that will have great positive impact, only then can you say, okay, now I can kind of look at the things that maybe are relevant to me. So the idea is that they will read that chapter, really know what they're getting into, and then they might dive into things that are more relevant to them. So you might go into people-pleasing chapter, you might go into something about um, jealousy and envy, and you can kind of dip in and out as you see fit. Another really interesting chapter which you explore is the whole thing of vulnerability. Um, I'm going to be vulnerable here and tell you it's my first day back at work. My kids have started in this homeschool that I'm not very good at and I'm very hands off with. And I was all gung ho thinking, oh, great, back to work after a really long break. I'll be really rested. And I feel awful and I'm feeling really low energy and really like pissed off with the world like I don't want to be doing anything and why can't I just go back and crawl under the duvet between the, the pandemic and the cases rising and the whole d general feeling of doom and gloom 
And I think it's really interesting what you write about vulnerability. And, and I know you reference Brené Brown, who's a, who I'm a big fan of. And I know lots of our listeners will be yeah, very... Yeah, I mean, you can't talk about vulnerability with, without talking about her, really. No, because she basically, you know, not that she invented vulnerability. Obviously, it was there. But she certainly made it uh, something that we all feel much more comfortable talking about and embracing, as you have in the book. Why is it important um, that we are upfront about the vulnerability that we all feel? And I'm talking about women and men and everybody because you can't be human without vulnerability it's just not possible I know well for me I, I suppose if I bring it back to my own experience things really only got better for me when I was willing to embrace my vulnerability and even talk about it at all and that could be vulnerability for someone in the workplace it could be in a relationship for me it was you know really crippling anxiety which I was trying to deny for so long um, and I realized that you know vulnerability is something that we all have in common not one of us is going to make it out of here alive we're all vulnerable to this pandemic right now in a very real way we're all vulnerable to getting our heart broken you know we're all potentially going to you know you could walk out on the street and be vulnerable you could get hit by a car not to be so morbid but we're all it's the nature of being human is to be vulnerable yet it's the one thing even though we have it all in common that we're all so afraid to show with each other and what I think is only when you start to kind of take down some of those boundaries and peel back the the veil I suppose does the feeling of vulnerability stop becoming such a threat so it kind of makes you invulnerable and it takes the pressure off because we're all in it together and we're all feeling it and it's not just it's not a case of just throwing yourself on the floor in tears it's just really bringing yourself as close as you can to your, your most authentic self and for me when you actually are willing to be vulnerable it's not just that you're having you know a good old chin wag with someone things get better. So for me, like my career improved massively and people think that professionalism and vulnerability can go together. My relationships get better, even just in terms of how you relate to people in through this pandemic and relate to your colleagues. When you all say, do you know what, I'm actually finding this hard or maybe, you know, when your kids will come in and say, I need to do a poo and you're in the middle of a really important meeting and we've all had to be more forgiving of each other and be more compassionate. And I think not only is it improving, you know, our relationships and taking down our stress levels because we're not trying to be this, you know, perfect person or have it all, you know, all, we can't have it all going right right now with what we're going through, but actually it will help improve things like the end product of what you do. Like you, people will collaborate more, they'll produce better work. And for me, it's been the absolute essential tool for um, getting on top of imposter syndrome. So, and also vulnerability is required if you're going to make any change in your life, because if you're going to look at something that's not working for you, you need to be willing to be vulnerable to say, do you know what? I, this is not suiting me and maybe it's maybe it's about you so that's that's not always comfortable to do but I think there's so many benefits from it um, and the imposter syndrome is a big thing so for me when you look at imposter syndrome it's what we feel when there's a discrepancy between the person that we put out there to the world and the person who we are privately and the only way to get rid of imposter syndrome is try and close those two people together and become your more authentic self and the only way to do that is to be vulnerable and to find ways in your day where you can just be really authentic and like I say, it's not about you. You don't need to come on to a meeting and start crying saying, I want to go back to bed. You can just say, look, I'm more than capable. I'm professional. But to be honest, I'm finding it hard back today. And everyone else will probably say, yeah, me too. And then the imposter syndrome goes away because you're not, you're not pretending to be someone else. And it doesn't mean you're going to do a bad job. I think both of them can exist in a professional environment. So I'm all for vulnerability and especially how it's impacted my life in a very positive way. You mentioned a book that you read that you didn't find so useful. Um, I think it's called something like, if you're going to cry, go outside, which is kind of the opposite of what we're saying. Tell me about that book and, and why you used it as an example. 
I just remember a few years ago, I think that was one of the real buzzed about books and it was Kelly Catrone. And if anyone watched The Hills, she was a very terrifying battle axe of a boss in that show. She was kind of the villain in the char- villain character. And she was very intolerant of anyone having any sensitivity or showing any, she would have perceived it as weakness or any kind of vulnerability. And her whole message was, if you're going to crack and show any part of being human, you better walk out the door because it's not going to fly here. You're not going to succeed. And that was very much the rhetoric that persisted through definitely like corporate America from what I've read through like the 80s, 90s and, you know, a little bit over here. So it's a real push against what we're doing now is a real push against that. But I remember reading that book and trying so hard to be to like absorb her message and be like, basically give myself a lobotomy by reading it and just to become a, a person who is made of steel and you know, because I was having situations in work where, you know, everyone has issues where you'd go home and you'd cry and hopefully you wouldn't do it in the office, but sometimes you would. And thinking, I can't, I'll not, I won't succeed if I'm sensitive. Or looking at particularly women who were very successful and very ahead and thinking, oh, maybe you have to be a bit of a bitch to get ahead or be, be a bit more tougher. And I just, that just felt like such a denial of who I was. And I just felt like I, I, there's no room for me then. There's no room for vulnerability. There's no room for sensitivity. So am I just not going to succeed then if I'm not like this kind of person? Um, and now when I think about it, I mean, obviously I didn't have the confidence then to say, to close the book and say, fuck that. Like that's, you know, something you don't have to opt into. But now I do. And now I actually think, you know, I pity people who are so frightened of their vulnerability, who thinks that's showing it or who perceive it as weakness in some way. Um, and, and and probably the anxiety they're feeling as a result of that. Mm. I think uh, it's interesting being on the women's podcast talking about this subject, because for me, um, sort of being in very male dominated um, arenas sometimes, whether it's work or other things, uh, conferences or various meetings, it can be really challenging to be vulnerable because, uh, especially as a woman, because those things are seen as so as weaknesses. Uh, we we think that anyway. We feel particularly men might perceive that vulnerable side, which men have too, but are even more. The patriarchy tells them even more to hide their vulnerability. Women are a little bit more allowed because, in a way, sure, women they they they're so emotional and all that nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Um. So have you had moments in your life where you've struggled with with expressing that and, and fear that you might be perceived differently? And how have you overcome that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even just recently, I've been sharing, as I do everything on my Instagram, about my experience having become a new mother. And from day one, from when I come ho- came home from the hospital, I felt so much anxiety. I felt like I'd been handed a grenade of a baby. I was like, how can you send me home? As I know most women do feel when they come home with their first how can you not send me home with a midwife? I was so afraid of putting a foot wrong and the anxiety was, and of course now a lot of that was to do with hormones. I mean, I was completely upside upside down and inside out and sleep deprived, but I felt the most vulnerable I've ever felt in my entire life. I was afraid to be left alone with my own baby. And everyone said, you know, it's your baby. You'll know what to do. And, you know, you just know what to do. It's just instinctual. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know this baby. I'm like, please tell me what to do. And I was just utterly petrified. I was, whenever my husband would go to the bathroom or have a shower, I would be like, can you, can you please not? And he's like, you're, you're his mother. Like, you'll be fine. That's how riddled with anxiety I was. And now it took a few weeks for that to kind of ease. But I started sharing all that on Instagram because that's, for me, the only way I can really normalize something is by saying, if I'm going to share anything at all, I'm not just going to share the, the highlights. And that's what I do. You know, I, I don't just want to say, wait until I get all the makeup on and I get a perfect picture and then I put it out there because that's putting massive pressure on me to maintain some sort of level of 
perfection. And that's also putting pressure on all the people who follow me who think, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. So it's been a very much a coping mechanism for me to put that out there. Um, but also I've, it's been, I didn't realize it required bravery, but actually it kind of does because people are going to be uncomfortable with it. And you're going to get, now 99.9% of people have said, thank you so much for validating what I went through maybe 10 years ago with my baby or for normalizing how I feel right now because on Instagram it just looks like you're supposed to just be swatting out of the hospital with your blow dry and you know have it all figured out so 99.9 like I say have been really thankful and really supportive to me and there's an incredible network of women there who are quite literally have held me up in my some of my most vulnerable moments but then there are some who for whatever reason have messaged me and thought that by me sharing my vulnerability actually maybe I'm not in a very good position to be a mother or maybe my child is at risk. I had one message and I was so upset, Roisin. It was just before Christmas and I had been, you know, I share the highs and lows. I'm not just sharing the shit parts because it's, you know, multifaceted. And some woman went out of her way to message, not me, but my husband and say that she doesn't follow me, but she had heard about me and she was compelled to go on and look at my stories and she was horrified by what she saw and she could only imagine what it was, what I wasn't posting, if that's what I was like. And that she was really concerned from the safety of my baby and that she thought she should warn my husband that maybe I need help. And this tore me. I mean, I didn't go on social media for a few days. I was so upset. I didn't sleep. Well, I can't sleep anyway because he doesn't sleep. Um, But I was like, hang on a second, someone is perceiving my vulnerability and something that's so normal and something so commonly experienced and they're taking that as me being like unstable and that I realised then, hang on, if you're going to put this out there, if you're going to be vulnerable, you're going to have to accept that you're going to have to sometimes take one for the team and if you're going to kind of break that cycle of never showing vulnerability, some people are going to push back and maybe that person really did think that I was, you know, unstable or that my child was in danger even though he's the most loved baby there is just the fact that someone would think that and maybe maybe I threatened her what she, her sense of vulnerability maybe I was reflecting to her what she didn't want to you know confront with herself so that was one experience I suppose where showing vulnerability has been hard but the plus side of doing that is that I know I have helped so many women and that's just to do with having a baby I mean the book is nothing to do with having a baby because I wrote it well before I was pregnant um but it's something I've experienced a lot lately this podcast is brought to you by green and blacks Wildly, deliciously organic. A rich, smooth and truly delicious chocolate experience. Talk to me about envy and jealousy because it's something that comes up uh, in conversations on this podcast a good bit and something we try to get to the bottom of because like you say, we all experience it. Um, I don't think, I mean, I think even as we get older, it's not just something for younger people. It's not just the kind of Instagram envy of looking at other people's lives. It can happen with very close friends, people that we love uh, can have some great fortune and it can make us feel like we're left behind or, you know, all those complicated feelings. What did you discover about on writing about it? What is your main takeaway in terms of how to cope with that, those horrible feelings that we often hate about ourselves for feeling? Yeah, they're not nice feelings to have and they're definitely not nice ones to admit, but I think they're pretty universal. Um, And what I understand or what I've kind of discovered is that really it's not about trying to just not be jealous anymore or not feel envy. And I think there's a difference between the two. So I think envy is when you you want to covet something that someone else has and jealousy is when you're afraid something that you have will be taken from you. And really what it comes down to is very much a zero-sum game mentality. So the idea that if you win, therefore I lose. 
and that there isn't enough pieces of the pie to go around. And back in hunter-gatherer times, which is when our brains were coming together and we're still very much dealing with the same brain today, if someone was to become successful, maybe that was they survived something or maybe they maybe they outran a tiger. That might very literally mean you would be unsuccessful and you'd be killed. Or if someone hunted down food, that's one less you know, dinner for you to go and have. So someone being successful was probably very likely a threat to our success and very likely a threat to our survival. And we've kind of carried that forward to this day because, you know, even though it's a completely different scenario now, we're dealing with the same hardware in there. Like our brains have so far to go in terms of catching up. There's so many issues that we have with our behaviours or our thoughts are because we're dealing with this very, you know, this, this like circuitry of our ancestors. So for me, it really comes down to understanding, well, this is why I have that reaction. And if I can just sort of accept that that's what I'm working with and then try to kind of bring your mind around and hack your way through that to understand, well, what's actually fact and what's opinion here? You know, does this person's, obviously if two people are going for a promotion and one person gets it and the other one doesn't, that is a scenario where someone's success might actually take from yours. And if that happens, you can read my chapter about how to cope with failure. (laughs) Um, But in most scenarios it really doesn't, someone else winning the lotto does not have any impact on you. So it's about just trying to understand, you know, why this, why we feel this way before, instead of just trying to change it, why is this happening in the first place? And then look, you're not going to undo all that ancient circuitry, but you can maybe be a bit more compassionate with yourself and understand, you know, well, there's a reason for this and I can't really control it, but I can understand that it's not me being a nasty person. It's a very um, biological reaction. And then it doesn't mean you have to, you know, as long as you're not actually following through and acting out in a jealous and envious way, that's going to harm a relationship. It's okay to have that feeling as long as you can understand it and rationalize it. In terms of the (coughs) pandemic and all the things that we're dealing with, you mentioned at the beginning that it's actually in a way the perfect time for a book like this or to read one. What do you think people can learn from the book in terms of dealing with what we're going through at the moment? And now we're in third wave we're in lockdown three the way the government is going it looks like we'll be in lockdown four or five and six through the year before the vaccine is actually rolled out so it's by no means I know there's light at the end of the tunnel which is wonderful but we're by no means sort of near the end yet uh what what can people take from the book do you think there's there's a lot in this book that I think will be relevant to everything we've just been through we've talked about vulnerability and I think we've had no choice but to confront that and we've all been in that together and maybe not seeing that as something that's you know the enemy is one thing and another thing that I think has been brought to the fore is the fact that we've had everything pared back so much that we've had no choice but to think about, well, what what really matters, what really contributes to our feeling of well-being? And it's actually probably very little. And all the bells and whistles are nice, but they don't really necessarily contribute towards long-term contentment or, you know, a feeling of success. So when my last chapter, truth number 10, is that there is no end goal. And I think this might be helpful for people who've had their careers knocked off course a little bit with the pandemic in particular, And really it's about thinking, so many of us live our lives with this end goal in mind. We're in pursuit of this thing someday, somewhere off in the distant future that we think will, you know, be the measure of success and lead to happiness and stuff. And, you know, we're not really thinking about that end goal in terms of what we're sacrificing for it now and how it's affecting us and how it's impacting on, you know, our day-to-day lives. So with that, I kind of ask people to maybe throw away the idea of an end goal. It's totally fine to have, you know, short-term goals here and there but if you're in pursuit of something so far off and you're you're actually not enjoying your time right now you know you're going to get there and the goalposts are going to shift again so for me a, a big change I've made is 
and it really challenges how we think about success when it comes to those traditional markers of career and stuff is to be motivated by what kind of lifestyle you want to have as opposed to what you think looks good on a CV. And so I had a conversation before the pandemic with this taxi driver and I talk about it in the book and he was telling me, oh, I used to be this big corporate boss and, you know, I was so successful and blah, blah, blah. And then the the recession happened and I started driving a taxi and he was apologetic about it to me. He was embarrassed and, you know, kind of ashamed that he was just a taxi driver. And he was saying to me, you know, this is meant to be just a stopgap and and I was meant to kind of go back into the job and things picked up and I just never did. And, you know, maybe I, maybe I still will, but I kind of just realized, you know, I was working crazy hours. I was never seeing my family. I had more money than I knew what to do with, but no time to spend it. I wasn't happy. I didn't spend time with my wife. And he said that even though, well, this is what I kind of determined, even though being a taxi driver to him maybe didn't look successful, he actually had it more figured out than anyone else because that was success if you tr- if you look at how he wanted to spend his life. He loved chatting to people in the car. He loved not having to bring his work home with him. He had so many interesting stories to tell. He had enough money to be able to go on holiday with his wife. He was home for dinner. He could tailor his own hours. And I was like, that is success. And he decided to reject the idea of what success looks like and think about well, what kind of lifestyle, how do I want to spend my days as opposed to how I want to spend my days sometime in the future if I even ever get there. And I think with the pandemic, we've had really, really bizarre days where we're locked in our house. And, you know, I think if we can, if we can think about how we want to spend day to day, we've had more time with family. When we come out of this, it might shift a little bit in terms of how we think about these abstract goals that don't really, maybe they're, maybe they're just society's goals for us. Maybe they're not really what drives us, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's very, very wise words. Just finally, Caroline, before we go, what have you learned about yourself? I mean, you're one of those amazing women who had a baby in a, in a, or was it was just before the pandemic? That no, you it was had, in August. Yeah, so you've you've had a pandemic baby. Yeah. It's, a, it's an incredible uh, date of birth to have 2020, I think. I know. Um, they're not going to be ever short of conversation for the rest <laughs> of their lives anyway, yeah. when they meet someone new. But um, what have you learned through this uh, last year yourself, about yourself, and um, maybe what things came up for you that you were surprised by? Um, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that... Um, my ability to cope is far greater than my fear that I won't cope in a situation. So, and it's not really anything to do with the pandemic, but I I had really severe morning sickness when I was pregnant. And this put me off getting pregnant in the first place for a long time because I was so frightened. I don't know where this comes from, but I have a very big fear of physically vomiting. And I just thought there's no way I can cope. And then of course, five weeks into pregnancy, I had my head in the toilet and I was puking right up until I literally pushed him out. And it wasn't nice or anything. I wasn't enjoying it, but my ability to cope was better than what I thought it would be. The fear was worse than the reality. Um, and same with, you know, the actual labor and same with just, I suppose, getting through the pandemic. It's uh, so much of what we fear is wrapped up in anticipation. And when we're actually in the thick of it, when we're in something, and for me anyway, I'm much better at coping once things become, you know, more tangible and like for example I just had a problem there recently where I hope we get it back but I have this other business called Gaff Interiors do you know it yeah yeah um our Instagram has been hacked and we've lost it and we had 33,000 followers it's our main source of revenue it's our our whole company is really built on the Instagram we might not get it back and I just had this really odd calmness about me saying this is absolutely terrible but there's only I can only control what I can control and if it's gone it's gone. And I find that if you told me, oh, next week you might lose Gaff, 
I'd be panicked. But now that I'm actually here and it's happening, I can cope much better than the fear would make me believe in the first place. So, and I think that's something I'm trying to share with other people is, you know, the thing that you're fearing, you should actually try and walk head first into it because you'll probably find that once you're in it, you're doing it. And it's better than the fear was, you know. It's reminding me of um, something from Untamed. I'm sure you've read it by Glennon Doyle. We did it on our book club uh, in a recent episode. Have you read that book? No, I actually haven't. I've so much to catch up on. I really like it. Her name is uh, Glennon Doyle and it's it's called Untamed. But she tells her daughter and it's a running theme through the book. And it's just a simple thing. We can do hard things. And I think we forget that sometimes that we are capable and we are able to do hard things. And the pandemic has shown us that, if nothing else, particularly people who maybe thought that they were going to fall apart or that they weren't going to be able for all the extra anxiety and difficulties that it poses. But uh, we can do hard things. And I think um, I think people will be able to do even harder things if they read your book. There's so much wisdom in it and practical help. Um, It's called Naked, 10 Truths to Change Your Life. Caroline Foran, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much, Roisin. That's all we have time for. Thanks very much to Caroline Foran. And remember, we'll have a special episode about the Mother and Baby Home Report on Thursday. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Take care of yourselves, go easy on yourselves, and I'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.